But yeah, so I'm just going to invite Paul up um, to preach. Um, it's actually his last uh, Sunday preaching with us. You got uh, one more week on the on the books, don't you? One more, two will. Finishes on Tuesday. There we go. So um, this is his last, and I know that um, we're disappointed that we haven't, we aren't able to all be here this morning. Um, and I know that he's probably feeling a little bit disappointed about that not being able to be in the room with us today. But um, yeah, just I just wanted to say um, to you, Paul, we just really, really appreciate um, the last twelve months. Um, Oh gosh, I wasn't going to cry. <laughs> um, it has been um, a pleasure um, serving beside you um, and Annie. Um, <laughs> and I know that for myself, um, <clears throat> you guys will always hold a special place in my heart. And I know that that's true for a lot of other people here. Um, and yeah, we're just so thankful for the commitment that you made to come for 12 months and um we know that that has been um, interesting for you because you're kind of in between <laughs> houses and all of those sorts of things. Um, but, yeah, we recognise the sacrifice that you've made and, yeah, just the heart that you have to serve people. And, yeah, we'll definitely be um, praying for you as you um, retire. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> all good. So I'm going to invite you to come up. Um, I might just pray for you as you come and step on up. Father, we just uh, thank you so much um, again, Lord, for your goodness to us, Lord, um, and the way that you love us, Lord, and the way that you provide for us in different ways. And Lord, we just thank you for Paul and Annie. Um, thank you for their time here. Thank you for um, the people that they have invested in while they've been here and the people that have invested in them, Lord, too. We just thank you for those relationships and um yeah, Lord, we just pray a special blessing and anointing on them as they um, prepare to move. And I know Annie's already in Warnable, Lord. And um, yeah, would you just cover them with protection and love and um, yeah, just a sense of peace as they move into this next season. Um, and we pray these things in your name. Amen. Amen. Haley's going to do a Bible reading for Excellent. me. Excellent. Yeah. Thank you, Paul. And yes, you and Annie will be missed, and you can come back any time when Daniel Michael Andrews allows it. <laughs> so we're going to read from 2 Kings 4. It's called The Widow's Olive Oil. So it'll be verses 1 to 7. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he is revered. The Lord, but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, How can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, Go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. They then go inside and shut the door behind you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, Bring me another one. But he replied, There is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. 
she went and told the man of God, and he said, Go, sell the oil, and pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. Thanks. Uh, thank you, Haley, for doing that uh, for me. Thank you, Alicia, for those uh, words of uh, encouragement and also kindness. Thank you. It's been a, an absolute delight being able to um, share with you in ministry. Um, you've got a great, uh, great future ahead of you. And uh, I know it's always hard being brought up in a church as a youngster and then coming on staff. It's not easy, but you've done it exceptionally well. And I know that God's going to continue to, to bless you. I'm going to watch out that I don't cry too. So I've, I'm a bit emotional this morning, um, but that's okay. We'll get through that. But I just want to also say to the leadership of our church as well, I've been absolutely blessed to be a part of your leadership team. And especially to the elders, we've had an incredible time together of sharing, um, becoming friends, and I think that was good. Um, but thank you so much as a leadership to the congregation. You're an amazing group of people. You really are. And I know God's got a plan and a purpose for the future, and uh, whatever that might mean. And uh, I know that I'm not going to be a part of that in the literal sense, but we will certainly be praying for you. As I do any church that I've been a part of, we continue to pray for them. But there's always something in the special in our heart for Kerrang. There's something God's about to do. God's on the move here. And uh, let's, let's move with God in that. And I know that uh, you'll be blessed. As uh, Alicia said, uh, Annie's already in, in Waterball. We've had an incredible week this past uh, five or six days because of close friend of ours who's like our our third daughter um, her mother passed away this week and uh, they've asked me to uh, do the funeral so and I had the privilege of praying for this lady on the phone just moments before minutes before she died and uh, to know that she responded uh, as I was praying was just remarkable but so we had to go down to Geelong on Friday and arrange the funeral and then go all the way down to Warrnambool during a shutdown, which was a thank you, Daniel Andrews, Daniel Michael Andrews. Uh, thank you for that very much because we got caught in the traffic of everybody going berserk. But we got there and I left Annie down there and uh, I came back uh, late last night. Uh, so we'll be heading back down to Geelong probably Tuesday uh, to do the funeral and then off down to, to Warrnambool to hopefully, we're not going to retire, we're going to have a big holiday. I don't like the R word, so I'm going to have a big, big, big long holiday. So, But look, we're planning to come back uh, at some stage when Daniel Michael Andrews opens up the state again uh, and we'd love to come back and just have uh, morning tea with everybody and share together. So let me just pray. Father, thank you for all that you are doing. Thank you for the beauty of your love and your grace and your mercy. Thank you, Lord, for what you accomplished at the cross for us. And thank you, Lord, when you, you eventually took your own life, as, it, as we say, gave up your life, you said it's finished. Everything you came to accomplish for your Father has been finished. And you're able to go back into your, to your Father and sitting at the right hand of the Father right now. And you are able to send your Holy Spirit to complete the work that needed to be done in terms of when you went back. 
And so, Lord, I pray this morning as we share together of this incredible story of this widow lady, that, Lord, that we understand that there is, there is an abundance of resource that you can give to us, Lord Jesus, through your spirit. Empower us this morning, I pray. Talk to us, Lord. Share with us, Lord. Open us up, I pray, Lord. Maybe there's something that is new that we've never heard before, or maybe we've been closed off to it. Help us, Lord, to understand what you are saying. As you said to, to uh, your loving disciple, John, in Revelation, he that has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. So hear our, our thoughts and our prayers, we pray this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. There's another verse that uh, I shared a couple of weeks ago in Mark 4, 32 to th- 4, 30 to 32, that says, Then he said, To what shall we liken the kingdom of God? Or with what parable shall we picture it? It's like a mustard seed, which, when it is sown on the ground, is smaller than all the seeds on the earth. But when it is sown, it grows up and becomes greater than all the herbs and shoots out large branches so that the birds of the air may nest under its shade. So a couple of weeks ago, we started on this little subject of when is little enough. And we mentioned last time about a small cloud. And Elijah uh, sent the servant to go up into the mountain to see if he could see anything. And the servant came back and said, I don't see anything. I see nothing, in fact. But also we saw often when we see nothing, God is up to something. When we see nothing, so often we think, well, God's up to something. A small cloud was enough to send the rain that broke the drought in those those times of Elijah. And you remember Elijah had said to to the king, it's not going to rain for three and a half years, and it didn't. We also noted that where there is a beginning to a drought, there's also an end to a drought. So if you're going through what you seem to understand as a drought in your life, and sometimes that's spiritually, but also it can be physically as well, because going through what we're going through with COVID at the moment, there are people who will feel like they're going through a drought. Can I just say to you and encourage you, there's always an end. There's always a finish to a drought. And you can ask any farmer that. So today I want to look at the the second part of what I'd like to bring to you today when it's little enough as we look at this small, very small jar of oil. And in 2 Kings 4.1 where Haley read to us before, it says a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha saying, your servant, my husband, understand this, your servant, My husband is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord, and the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be slaves. So the context of these verses are that the husband had died, obviously, and the creditors had had come onto her doorstep and said, you need to pay up, and if you can't pay up, we will take your sons until the money is where all money has been paid. So she had no resources and she was in debt. And getting out of the problem was, for her was only God could get her out of the problem. I'm sure you've been in that situation too. So her, her situation seemed totally hopeless 
I wonder, have you ever been there when you, when you look at everything and you go, this is a hopeless situation. I, I don't know how I'm going to get out of I don't even know how I'm going to get through this day. And it seems totally hopeless. I know that, that Annie and myself have, have been in that era of financial resources back in the days working in the organisation called Youth for Christ where we just didn't know from day to day where we were going to eat or how we could pay school fees and, and all things like that. Particularly when you look back at the end of the week and there's no money, no money coming in. And we're in a faith organisation in those days and if people didn't donate to the organisation, we just didn't get paid even though it was on a very minimal type of wage. And you look in the refrigerator and there's nothing in the refrigerator or maybe some milk, that's about it. And you go... I don't know how we're going to feed the children tonight. It gets tough. And I've walked in those shoes. I understand some people who were going through that. It was interesting as I was coming home yesterday afternoon or going down to Warrnambool yesterday afternoon, I called into a service station to get something. And uh, I was really challenged <laughs> and uh, by a, a guy standing at the the front of the doors to the service station, he said, hey, mister, you got any change? And I said, oh, actually, no, I haven't. I'm just going in to get something. And when I got in there, God spoke to me. He said, come on, you need to give this man something. And so often there are people around like that who are desolate in terms of they don't know how to get, they're going to get out of the situation or what they're in. So according to the, the Old Testament law, a person in debt without any means of, of, of repayment or collateral could be forced into bondage as servants. And in this case, her sons could have been until the year of Jubilee. For those who know about the year of Jubilee, every 50 years, all slaves are released into freedom. Now, if you were, if you were put into slavery on, on year one, you'd be in there for 49 years. But if you're in there on the 49th year, you could only be in there for maybe six months to 12 months and you'd be free. So it doesn't tell us how long this year of Jubilee had been in, in vogue for them to get out. All it says that they were there until they paid their father's debt. Now we find her appealing for help. How often do we stew in our sense of hopelessness, ignoring James 4, 3, where it says, if you, you do not have because you don't ask. You don't ask. We need sometimes to ask in faith. Sometimes I know we get embarrassed to ask. Sometimes I know we won't humble ourselves to say, I'm in need and I need to ask for help. And as a church, we need to be aware of that. But we don't get sometimes because we don't ask. And we need to ask in faith because God's got the resources. The problem is he, he gives us the resources to give and we need to be releasing that. And in 2 Kings and verse 2a, Elisha said to her, what do you want me to do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? Then she goes on to ask, he asks, what, what, what do you want God to do for you through me? You're obviously saying I can help you. Tell me, what do you want me to do for you? 
Let me just remind you again of that verse in Hebrews 11.1 1, where it says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance that the, of things that we cannot see. See, faith is not something, well, I can see that I've got this, this glass of water here. That, that's not being in faith. Being in faith says I've got a, an empty glass here and I don't see any water around, but I'm believing that God can give me some. I might take some now. Faith is stepping out. There's something about this woman, this widow is saying, I don't know how you're going to do it, but I know that you can. That's the confidence of faith in a greater power than yourself. But often we are confronted by our own natural barriers. When we say things like, but, but I'm not as resourceful as others are, so? Or I'm not talented like the musicians, like, like Alicia playing this morning and Haley singing. Oh, I'm not as good as that. The widow said, I have nothing in the house except this little jar of oil. That's where we're going to come to the point is. I may not be like this or like that, but I have this little bit that I believe I can give unto God. You know, Moses asked God, or God, sorry, God, what is in your, what do you have in your hand? That's what God said to Moses. What do you got in your hand? He said, all I've got is this little tiny wooden staff, Lord. And God said, I want you to lay it down. But, 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 Lord, it, it's, it's only a rod and, and, and I really need it to walk. I really need it at this point of time. I need it for my future because that's a part of my identity. It was. So with much discussion with God after how unspiritual a rod is in his hand, he eventually laid it down. What happened? It turned into a serpent. Isn't that interesting? And not only did it turn into a serpent, but all the leaders, so-called spiritual leaders around who threw their rods down, turned into serpents, but Moses' rod or serpent ate theirs. (laughs) See, God's much bigger. God's much bigger. But then God said, now I want you to pick it up. I've often wondered about that. I, I don't like snakes. I hate snakes. I don't want to go anywhere near them. I don't even know why God created them. There's obviously a purpose. I'll ask him one day. But I'm not sure whether I, w- I would want to go down and pick up a, a serpent that could turn around and bite me. But Moses did. Moses bent down without any argument, picked up the serpent, and it turned into a rod. It's interesting, that same rod that Moses had was used to part the Red Sea. Amazing. That was the same rod that struck the rock and fresh water came out when they needed water. It's the same rod that helped him walk at difficult times in his life. Once God got a hold of it. So what is it that you might have in your hand, in your possession, we'll say another way? 
that is so precious, so precious to you, or can I say at your disposal, maybe, that God may very be easily saying, I want you to lay it down. But, Lord, I, I, but I need it. But God is saying, I want you to lay it down for me so that I can use it. It may be a gift that you have. It may be a talent that you have. It could even be a mindset that you have on certain things that you've been brought up with or you've been taught that God is saying, but I want you to lay it down because there may be something else I need to teach you. And if your mindset is this, then I can't teach you this. Maybe God is saying, I want you to lay it down this morning. The widow knew what she didn't have, but she also knew what she did have. That's the important part. She knew that her faith was in God, not in earthly things. Now remember, faith doesn't become operable until you step out. It's all right to say I've got great faith, but if you're not stepping out, then it's not faith at all. It's a mindset. Remember Peter in the midst of the sea, Jesus appears to him or to them as disciples and he says, come on, get out of the boat and come to me. Now Peter's an extrovert. Peter likes to perform in front of people. I understand that. But Peter was also a seasoned fisherman and he knew that water was not for walking on. Water was either for fishing or swimming or whatever. Not for walking on. And here we find Peter in this predicament. He's in the comfort of the boat with other disciples around him. And if he steps out and he sinks, he's got egg on his face. Or does he take this step of faith, believing that Jesus is there, which he is, and says, I want you to come to me, Peter. And often we've got to get outside of our comfort zone when we step out in faith. So Peter does this and he walks upon the water. Maybe, church, it's time for us to step out in faith. Maybe it's time for you individually to step out in faith and get out of your comfort zone. Later on, we find Jesus saying to Peter, because of your faith, Peter, because of your obedience, Peter, you are a rock. And upon this rock, this type of faith, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He did, and I need to just say this on the side. Jesus didn't say, Peter, you are this incredible person and my church is going to be built on this Peter. No, he didn't say that. He said, because of your faith, I will build my church on that style of faith. Later again, we see Peter now filled with the Holy Spirit, preaching to a crowd of over 3,000 people who responded to the Lord to follow Jesus. All because Peter stepped out of his comfort zone 
And that's what it's about. If we're going to reach our community, we've got to step out of the boat. We have to step out of the comfort zone of four walls that we meet in on a Sunday when we're allowed to, that is. Because there's a world out there that needs to hear about the love of Jesus. And that doesn't mean we go Bible bashing people at all. Australians don't like that. But if we build friendships, build relationships, and we can share about Jesus with them. You see, Peter was once a reservoir where he just stored up everything. But now he's a river. He's a river that's flowing out of the, of the innermost parts of his being. Everything that God had placed in him through the Spirit of God was now flowing out of him. That's what I call putting my, putting my mouth where my faith is. But he had to be prepared to step out of his comfort zone. Let me just say this because many of us may be thinking, yeah, but they were Jesus' disciples. They were special. <laughs> I've often heard that. Folks, they were ordinary people just like you and me. Just ordinary people. Remember last couple of weeks ago, I said, would you have them on our leadership team? Probably not. They were just ordinary people like you and me. That's why God made so many of us. He loves to use ordinary people like you and me. He fills us with his Holy Spirit and we are able to do extraordinary things by his power. Interesting. No wonder Jesus said, greater things will you do when I go back to my Father. Because when the Holy Spirit was, was brought down, came down and dwells within us, and we were singing this morning, there is that extra power that he gives to us to be witnesses unto him. So here we find this woman who's in this incredible predicament that many individuals and families may find themselves from time to time. She's in a rut. In a rut. You know what a rut is? A rut is a place where you feel stuck, helpless, and sometimes even hopeless about what's life all about. It can be a terrible and frustrating place to be in because many times you feel like you, you haven't done anything to deserve to be in this place. But nevertheless, you find yourself in the rut. Being in a rut will cause you to lose sleep at night. Being in a rut will cause you to be irritable and hard to get along with. You become grumpy. <laughs> I heard one husband say Somebody said to your wife, did you wake up grumpy this morning? She said, no, I left him asleep. Because sometimes we get up in grumpy moods because we're in a rut. <clears throat> we go through life like that. Being in a rut will cause you to lose sleep, I can tell you. But the worst thing about being in a rut is that if you don't find a way to get out of it, that rut will turn to rot. You'll start rotting away. In other words, you start to decay. So unless you find an escape from it, it will rob you of your joy in life. That's what being in a rut and moving to, to decay 
and rotting away. Robs you of your joy and leaves you in a dead and rotting place, simply criticizing everything that goes on and judging others for what they are doing. And we don't think about what's going on in here. Two things that I've learned about this beautiful widow. Firstly, she was prepared to step out of her rut in faith. And secondly, she was prepared to make changes in her life that seemed out of her understanding, even of her theological upbringing. That's what I love about it. You know, I'm so glad I'm not living back in my teenage years of my theological understanding because it was so, so limited to what I understand today. You know, church, sometimes we need to look at what we've been taught and start to discover ourselves just what the ministry even of the Holy Spirit is in our own lives and not what others have led us to believe that it is. I've heard some horrific stories about what the Holy Spirit has supposedly done. But I've also heard some miraculous stories, incredible stories of when the Holy Spirit has empowered people's lives. He's come to empower us, to set us free from some of the bondages and barriers that we have erected over the years. Jesus wants to break them down. Here's the amazing part of the story. Elisha then says to go, borrow jars from everywhere, from all your neighbours, empty jars. Do not gather just a few. And when you've come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons, then pour it into all those jars and set aside the full ones. Pretty simple. Pretty faith-based. But this is the stepping out of faith part. When the, when the natural, everything is saying, no, 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 that's not going to work. It's impossible. Don't be silly. Don't be crazy. Everybody will think you've gone around the twist that you're saying, oh, I've got this little bar of, jo uh, of oil and I've been told to pour it into all these jars and it'll be all full. Sounds crazy. But that's when we move out of the natural into the supernatural of God. Folks, when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you get excited just like these early disciples did. And they got excited. And everyone back then thought they were crazy too. But then you need to look at the results. See, I, I was saying to somebody this past week, we need to look at the fruit. When we say, yes, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit, that's wonderful. Some people say, oh, I've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's wonderful. But what's the fruit? You see, as I look at Acts chapter 3, Acts chapter 2 and 3, onward into 3, there were fruits of what the Spirit of God was doing in our lives, in their lives. And it's the same with us. There's got to be fruit that comes out of that. They got out of their religious ruts and people started to follow Jesus. That's the incredible part. People started to follow Jesus. The only ones that got upset were the religious leaders, the religious people. Church, the key issue in this story is to obey even when it doesn't make sense. 
And when it's not easy to do so, you simply obey. That's hard for us sometimes as Christians to do. It's a word that we've taken out of our vocabulary. Even in our marriage vows, we've taken out, obey. Interesting, isn't it? Matthew 9.29 says, according to your faith, let it be. Notice Matthew doesn't say, according to the great amount of faith that you should have. No. No, because it's not about the amount of faith that we have, but it's about the amount that you do have. And according to the word of God, it only has to be the size of a mustard seed. In fact, the number of empty vessels that they brought into the house showed the woman's faith, but also it showed her obedience and her her submission to God and his promise to her through the prophet. Verse 5, so she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons who brought the vessels to her and she poured it out. This small jar meant everything to her, everything. It was her last little possession, making food from it even, a whole lot of things. It was life or death. If it didn't work, she would die and her children would be in slavery. So she stepped out of her comfort zone in obedience to the prophet's voice. Now, I wonder, can you imagine just for a moment, here we find the creditors at the door ready to take her sons away and place them into slavery. There was no food left in the pantry, and she's about to pour out this small jar of oil into all these other empty jars. When is little enough? As we saw a couple of weeks ago, when you place it into God's hands, God indeed does a wonderful miracle with that tiny little bit of oil. He multiplies it somehow so that once she starts to pour it out in faith, the oil doesn't stop flowing until every vessel is filled. Then she takes the oil and sells it to pay off her debts. You might say, oh, that's, that was back then. No, I've seen it in my lifetime too. I've seen God expand food. I've seen a jar of oil that was half full and then go back in another week's time and it's full. I can't explain it, but I know God can. If we're prepared to step out in faith. And of course, the only thing that caused the oil to stop flowing was the fact that they ran out of jars. But God was able to fill every jar that she was able to produce. Now, let me just dig a little bit deeper as I try to wind this up if I can. It's my last time, so I can take as long as I like, can't I? (laughs) I've just been told, go for it. It's okay. But let me just go a little bit deeper here and use some typology. I know people love typology or symbolism. I think it would quickly, we quickly, sorry, recognize two standard types here, of course. Firstly, Elisha typically represents Jesus. It's, it's just, 
as you look at the, the life of Elisha and you look at the life of Jesus, they kind of culminate in so many, so many ways. The oil, obviously, and we know this through Scripture, the oil represents the Holy Spirit. We've seen that. And I don't think it would be stretching it too much to suggest that the house represents the local church. And the widow represents this present generation of believers. Could it be, though, that the, that the children represent the next gen? Could it be? And the creditors at the door represent the world who's trying to snatch them away into sin, into slavery. And I was hearing a little bit of this this, this week, this weekend, as I was talking to some people, of the stuff that this next gen are getting into would turn your hair white like mine, if you haven't got it already. Could it be that when one generation allows God's house to become empty of oil, that the next generation pays the price? I think it does. Could it be that we are in danger of losing our children to a world because we have neglected to show them the very power of God at work through the church? How many times do we hear young people say, I don't want to go to church, it's boring. Because we lack somehow the power of God working within the midst of the congregation so that the young people go, wow. Some people say to me, Paul, why do you get so excited when you're preaching? I get excited because I'm excited about Jesus. I'm excited about what the power of the Spirit can do in a life when it's surrendered to him. And I've heard people say, oh, well, when we became Christians, we got all of the Spirit. We got all of the Spirit that would allow him to come in. But there are things in our lives that are blocking that fullness of the Spirit. And we need to get some of those things out of our lives so the Spirit can come in his fullness. You know, these can be really heavy questions, and I understand that. And I don't mean to come on too strong, but some of us that are, that are watching here today can either be second or third generation Christians. Our forefathers, our grandparents, our parents were people who, who were sacrificial in their prayer life. They cherished the touch of God upon their lives. Many of them were trailblazers, even in the Baptist scene or the charismatic scene, whichever you like. They were trailblazers that wanted to see God move in the midst of them. And we owe them a great debt. The question I found myself asking these past few months is, am I leaving my children a legacy of Christianity or am I simply preparing them for a rut? that it will ultimately lead to rot. Is that why we're seeing so many churches closing down? Is that why we're seeing so many people leave the church? 
I must admit my prayer has been, no, Lord, that's not what I want. I do want to see revival. I do want to see a renewal that will take place in the midst of people. That's why the word let's, tells us train up a child when it's young and when it gets old, they will depart from it. You know, I see other religions and other cultures doing it far better than what we are. I remember when we visited China going back a couple of years ago, went through Tiananmen Square. Not that they told us too much about it because they weren't allowed to. But they would take children at the age of five and they'd bring them in and they would train them until they were adults to send them out. Isn't that what we should be doing in some respects? That's what you're doing, Alicia, with Next Gen and others in your leadership. You're, you're training our young ones up to get excited about God. That's what I love about you. Church, it only takes one jar of oil. One person who is prepared to pour out the oil through faith. And I want to tell you, revival could be sparked off. I don't know about you, but I want my children and their children to experience God in such a way that the oil that I pour out by faith will fill their jars that the Holy Spirit will flow in revival fire into their children's children as well. Church, what is it that you have this morning that you feel might be only small and God can never use me? That God may very well be asking you, I want you to lay it down so that I can use it, so that I can use it. It may be a dream. It may be finances that you have. It may be a relationship that you're in. It may be a point of view or an attitude or a hurt or maybe a habit or an addiction. And God is saying, I want you to lay it down. He may very well be asking you to pour out whatever it is that you have left in your jar so that others will know what it is to be filled with the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus and the finished work of the cross. I mentioned last week, two weeks ago, we need to stop listening. We need to stop, stop listening to what the devil tells us we're not. How many times has he done that to you? And start listening to Jesus who are telling us who we really are. You're a child of God. You're special. You're adopted into, into God's family. And there's a day coming and it's not a hope that says, oh, a hope. It's a hope that says the, the word is actually certainty that Jesus is coming back for us, for his church. He's coming back for you. God sees you as someone who is loved, for God so loved you. He loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but shall have everlasting life. We can be forgiven. 
Isn't that wonderful? And when we're forgiven, he gives us a hope, a hope of that eternity, a destiny and a future. Oh, Lord, would you send revival? Would you send it to this place here, Kerrang Baptist Church? Would you send revival to Kerrang? If you want to start in the Uniting Church or the Presbyterian Church or the AOG, I don't care. We just want revival, a renewing of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we come to this point of time in our service where, Lord, we, we just want to express our love for you. Sometimes we do that through song, as we've already done. Sometimes we do it through praying. Sometimes we do it through reading your word. Sometimes we do it through the listening or the preaching of word. But Lord, would you come into each person's home, wherever they may be sitting, in their lounge room or the kitchen or wherever. And would you touch their lives, Lord? Right now, Lord. Break the barriers, Lord. Holy Spirit, just minister the love of God. The wonderful grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Oh God, I so much want to see revival. This land really needs it, Lord. Lord, we need godly leaders in our churches. We need godly leaders in our nation. And Father, I pray for those who are Christians, who are politicians, who it must be so hard for them. God, would you empower them these days to bring righteousness into our country? Oh God, send revival. Start in me, start in us. Oh Lord, we're a blessed country in so many ways. But spiritually, Lord, we're bankrupt. And we need for you to deposit something into this nation. This great Southland, the land of the Holy Spirit, as it's been known for. Lord, we release you right now to do your work. We bless you, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. As Alicia still prays, let me just say again, on behalf of Annie and myself, thank you so much for your love and your support to us as a couple. And I know Annie particularly asked me last night, please send her love to you. To some of you ladies out there, you know who you are. You've been very special to Annie. And it's been a real healing process for her up here. And uh, I know God is going to bless you as a, as a group, as a church. God bless you.